Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we have another interview episode. This one I've been thinking about for a long time, and, and things just came together perfect that I was able to get Michael Hanel on the phone from Really Right Stuff. Uh, coming off the interview with uh, Phil and Nick talking tripods, this is like the perfect opportunity to talk to the tripod company out there, Really Right Stuff. Michael, great to have you on the line. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to great to be on. Uh, great to talk to the listeners. I've been a part of the Hyde for the uh, past 10 years as a personal setting, so I love it. I'm excited for it. Excellent, excellent. And to get started, go into sort of your background and history. Let everybody know, because you've come out of the Army side of things and then moved over to really write stuff and, and kind of just go into like a little overview uh, of your trajectory from the military to where you are today. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I got uh, I left college and uh, joined the military, uh, joined the Army. Uh, it's glad to have some Army guys on your podcast, not just Marine guys. Um, back in 2006, and uh, went in infantry, uh, got stationed in Hawaii with 25th ID, went over to the recon section, and immediately found out that they were going to have trials for uh, sniper school. Uh, so I went through a pre-sniper uh, that they held at uh, Schofield Barracks, um, is actually at a Puloa training area down in Eva Beach in Hawaii. Uh, went through that for two weeks, uh, got selected to go forward and to be part of the um, sniper section, and then went through a uh, sniper uh, MTT there, which was pretty cool because I think it was the first one they had. Um, went through, passed, and then went to the sniper section and deployed about three months afterwards in uh December of 2007, uh, did a 15-month rotation, uh, mainly in Sauter City area and uh, Beji uh, for 15 months, came back, uh, got married, um, did some more uh, NTC rotations, then deployed 2010 to 2011 with the 25th again for 12 months. That was uh, full uh, Beji, um, the oil refinery area, and then came back. Uh, time for a uh, PCS and found out that um, there was needing some guys at sniper school. So put in an application there and went over to uh, Fort Benning and taught at sniper school for four years. Um, pretty much about the time that I was leaving or wanting to leave sniper school, I wanted to go to ranger school. And I was about six days from walking on since sniper school is right next to ranger school. And uh, my NCIC at the time, he pulled me pulled me aside and said, you can't go to ranger school. You just got a DA select to be a recruiter. Um, not the coolest uh, thing that I wanted to do in my life. So I said, I absolutely am not going to do that. And I uh, found out the only way to get around it is to uh, do a deck statement and just to drop the army. So I did the deck statement, um, declination of continued service, um, got out, joined the National Guard, had no clue what to do with my life whatsoever at all. Um, my wife wanted to move back to California. That's where she was from. So I just took her role. You know, she followed me for 10 years. Um, so, uh, went to California and actually started, uh, like I said, had no clue what to do. So I started working at Toyota. You know, I always hated car salesmen. Uh, every time I went and I saw a Craigslist open and I was like, ah, let's give it a try. So I went to a uh, Toyota and absolutely hated it. It was horrendous. But while I was there, um, test driving a RAV4, 
uh, found out that he was a CNC operator, the main machinist at a company called Really Right Stuff. At the time, I told him it was a super corny name. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he seemed like, you know, he, he's like, that's kind of our motto. Nothing leaves the company unless it's really right. Um, and it's been a pretty old company, so we're keeping it and we're moving on with it. So I was talking to him in the, um, the car ride, the, the test drive, you know, trying to sell him the car. Uh, he's like, I'm not going to buy this car. He's like, he just wanted to talk about personal stuff at that time. He's like, do you go shoot at all? You know, you said you're from Georgia. Uh, and I was like, I love shooting. He's like, have you found anywhere? And I was only around for, I don't know, a month and a half at the time. Uh, and I was like, no, I haven't found anywhere. He's like, oh, why after work, why don't you come to the range with me? So um, I followed him to the range and shot with him a little bit. And he said, you, you seem like you know how to shoot a little bit. Um, I said, you know, I did it in the military. Um, he asked me to come by the shop. I came by the shop, I met the owner, started opening up a little bit about my past, um, what I worked with, the different types of tripods I worked with back then. Um, said goodbye to him, you know, went back to work. A couple of weeks later, <clears throat> one of the engineers came to uh, get his Tacoma fixed. And he, instead of leaving, he just chatted with me while I was supposed to be selling cars. Um, asked me to come to the shop again, uh, talked to him a little bit about some changes that could make, talked to the boss again. And I was like, I, I really think there's a lot of room for this in the military, in civilian competition, um, if you'd like to go that way. And they had thought about it before in the past, but they didn't really have an avenue in. Um, so I talked, it seemed like a good conversation, went back to work. And a couple of weeks later, he called me on my cell asked me to come in and then said, Hey, I want to, uh, I want to make this division and I want you in charge of it. I don't know too much about your past. Um, you don't really have too much schooling or anything like that, but take it and roll with it and I'll be your only uh, supervisor. So that's basically how I came from joining the military and got into really right stuff. Nice. And, and you guys have kind of established yourself as the leaders of the tripods uh, you know, coming and we spoke about this a little bit that, you know, the military comes from the Manfrotto world. They were using these, you know, camera like digital, like uh, Nick described it as a digital uh, camera tripod. The weight ratings were like 12 pounds on that. You know, we're using the, the Manfrotto pistol grip heads. They were issued for a while. And we were always trying to make techniques to try to fix the shortcomings of the tripod itself, meaning it didn't hold the rifle. It didn't work with the recoil very well. We were kind of, you know, repurposing camera stuff and, and not we didn't have dedicated shooting things. So then it became, you know, the sling to wrap your rifle around the tripod, you know, how much body you put into it, some of the free recoil. But you guys sort of address this by looking at the mechanics behind a tripod and really what we're supposed to be doing, supporting the rifle system. And, and I think you guys nailed that right out of the gate, which, you know, surprised a lot of people to say, how did, you know, and you're, you're a premier product, you're not cheap, um, you're, you're, you're on the higher end of dollar-wise, but you came out of the gate so quickly and established yourself it, to me, it's because of the mechanical side of it and what you really did to address this and you educated the consumer about it. Um, sort of how was that growth period for you guys on, on your side of the, the coin looking at it? Yeah, so when I started there in 2015, um, 
Billy Wright stuff was already established for the past 15, 20 years. I'm not sure on the correct years. Um, but they were established as like the premier uh, photography, cinematography tripod um, and the accessories. Originally, they sold um, Gitso tripods and they loved them. Um, they talked to the company about some upgrades and the, uh, and the company was always fighting them back about different upgrades that they wanted to make. Um, so they dropped Gitso and they decided to make their own. And, you know, like I said, it became the premier. And when I met them, um, I told them, you know, when I deployed for that first time, and actually before that, when I went through cyber school, they said, hey, a tripod is not necessary. If you want one, go to Walmart, buy one of the $25 ones that has the extendable uh, center column, um, buy a piece of a PVC pipe, cut it in half, and then put some puss pad in it, and you got yourself a tripod. And that was my, um, that was my whole deployment. Um, that was the tripod, actually a couple of tripods that I used because they don't last very long. Um, but yeah, I mean, shooting out to 400, 500, that was a chore back then on those center column. Um, I never really saw the Manfrotto's when, when we did MTT, um, I did see the instructors had some Manfrotto's and they were purchased with the unit funds. Um, but yeah, 2015, I started working there and I pushed it out immediately to some of the friends that I met, um, that worked around North Carolina when I was out at sniper school, I met them and I pushed it to them um, that I stayed in contact with and asked their opinion, what could be different and all that stuff. Because, you know, all we've been doing is repurposing photography gear. So I sent them a photography tripod and I sent them a photography head and they talked to us about, you know, the panning, um, how much it's able to hold. And at the same time, I sent it over to uh, team AI. Um, they've always, I've always been pretty close with them. I met them at a couple of the sniper competitions that I help run um, and just stayed in contact with them. And those were the two main avenues. Some of the special forces group and AI is where it kind of started. And then shortly after I reached out um, to you as well to try out some of the gear. Cause I wanted to hear a more of a civilian side um, key opinion leader as I, as I called you. Um, but yeah, it was a, we found out that we started to need to design things specifically for rifles. So tripods and ball heads are, they always have weight ratings on them. And most of the time they're talking about a heavy duty camera or some piece of equipment centrally located over the top of it. Um, what lockup can hold it without moving freely, you know, or breaking loose. They're never talking about that leverage that a, a shooter with a shoulder, you know, you have a two foot lever arm um, able to move. So that's what we started designing um, ball heads and how to repurpose the tripods to handle uh, that leverage. Um, they're super lightweight. So that was always a key opinion of a lot of the shooters is like, I'm going to be humping this a long way. I want it to, I want a lightweight tripod that's still able to hold. Um, but yeah, we just, we just went through there. Um, biggest reason that we got so popular is we just listened to you guys. Um, what don't you like? What do you like? And let's change it. Uh, I've been a part of the, you know, the community. I've been a competition shooter, um, military shooter with competitions. Uh, that was a sore subject. I got smoked when I was a military shooter going to competitions. Um, but yeah, we just listened to guys and tried to make them better and better and, see different ideas here and there. So a lot of it, most of it is just thanks to uh, the listeners and a lot of the military friends that I had. Yeah. I mean, you could tell because like, even with the, the, the attachment points that you guys created, 
you know, went outside the normal that you brought it to sort of the really right stuff, dovetail versions, you know, where the man Frodo, the first time they tried to do it, even like Ashbury had a mount. They did the the, the RC2 quick lock. The, the man Frodo sort of can't leave her in. You got to, you know, uh, put it in the front and then bring it down and, and touch the back and unlock, you know, pushes the uh, the pin lock out of the way and snaps tight on it. So you had to be in a specific position to mount that. And and there were products that were starting to come around, you know, like the Marine Corps issued Manfrotto's. Uh, I don't like the Army. It doesn't sound like they did, but we did. So we built certain things kind of like you guys did with your mounts now, like the, the forearm replacement mounts and those pieces and parts you put in. They tried to do that in the past, but I think that the, because they never addressed the tripod they just use what Manfrotto gave you, which it was like the 190, the 55, you know, those models are what they were using. And, and yeah. the only difference was they painted them green. You know, the Marine Corps got it in a, in a fancy bag. It was painted green, came with a, a, a Cerakoted green pistol grip. And they did try to make those mounts, like, like I said, but it just never took on because we were having to put so much influence around the tripod because the tripod just wasn't suited to hold the rifle correctly where, I mean, you guys solved that in a minute with your rate rate weight ratings being where they are and, and not having the flex in the system, not having the movement. And then the modular uh, way you put them together going from sort of the leveling base in the beginning. And then the, uh, the BH 55, which your BH 55 is your big ball head and then you had the center column. You were able to do that if they wanted it to. But then you kind of transitioned to the anvil. Um, kind of bring us through a little bit of that transition because, to me, that's that mechanical side of it that really sets you guys apart when you jumped from the BH-55 to the anvil 30. Yeah. So uh, in 15, the first product we came out with is that NATO dovetail. It's just the semi-permanent piece that went onto your rifle. And then from there, I started looking at the most popular chassis uh, with military and with competition. And then we wanted to make something specific to the chassis, not just a random, you know, all-purpose mount. We want something that fits on, goes into the standard holes that comes with those rifles, and has anti-twist features, because that's what you don't get with that RC2 that we were talking about. Um, Then as I was talking to you earlier, uh, that leverage was something that we were really worried about. So we try to make a, uh, everyone loved the leveling bases. And then a lot of people like the BH-55s. So we tried to make a ball head that had a lot of the leveling base and the ball head features in one. So that's where the anvil came with. It's kind of upside down ball head, uh, clamshell. Um, so the weight of the ball head is always resting on the top of the ball. And when you lock it down, the bottom of the clamshell um, clamps onto it and gets stronger. So you're not going to see that giant shift that you see in usual ball heads because they're usually sunk down into the housing. And then when you tighten it up, it lifts the ball head up into the housing. So you always have like a five mil shift every time you go from aiming to tightening, if you were to try to do like free recoil. Um, but yeah, we came out with that anvil in uh, 2017, right before SHOT Show, um, said it was gonna ship in March and just got massive amount of orders. And that was a little bit unexpected um super happy but a little bit unexpected and then it's just continued from 2017 into 2020 um and we're always making them every single day it's the main piece of the sore item but there's so many orders that come in 
uh, it's hard to get them out. So now we have the anvil in four different um, options to purchase it, just the anvil by itself. And then we have another four tripods that come with the anvil built into that specific apex. And that was something new that we did, making that apex that actually had a taper in it that locked the ball head in with four additional screws. So you can't accidentally unloosen it when you pan counterclockwise like every other tripod on, or every other ball head on the, on the industry. Um, and that was, you know, super popular. Um, but when we did that, it also increased the sales as well. And a lot of people went to that way because that tripod is a lot more portable, um, smaller in diameter, easier to put in your pack. It drops the weight. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a home run. So, you know, you guys listing that order these things, we're making them every day. I try to ship them out as much as possible to direct customers and then with distributors as well um, in there um, just so we can keep the distributors. Because as you guys see, that we don't really like to have a lot of dealers because we, if possible, we want to keep every single dealer we have in stock. Currently, that's not working, but we're hoping to have everyone in stock plus us uh, by April. So wherever you go, you can pick one up, you know, next day air if you want it. Um, but yeah, that was a super exciting um, ball head for us. It, it changed everything and how we did it and having the, the, the NATO, the pick rail in there, as well as the dovetail, uh, you know, solved so many problems. And, and it was like such a no brainer thing. Like, oh, my God, you can either go with your pick rail or you could do your dovetail if you have that, which most are going to dovetail now. I, I think that colossal shift we see in the industry is really focused around what you guys were doing. So while we see, you know, the area 419s, um, the, the, the different companies that are this, you know, that are doing the rails and the different type of dovetails out there, even MPA putting it into their chassis. I think they were the first one that uh, machined it right into the chassis system to work with your tripod, you know, just making that change going from, the RC2s and the different mounts we were using to the really right stuff dovetail in your guys' system, it fundamentally changed every product we use. You know, from the rifles, um, you talk about AI, it's built into the AIs right now, the LE versions, the MCLE. Um, it, it's built all into that. You know, you have the, like I said, the MPA chassis, it's built in that. You see it put into the MDTs now. And, and it's just so much easier for these guys doing sort of aluminum chassis rifles to just machine that dovetail right into it and then not have to worry about having a specific piece or an aftermarket part. Although I should say that your aftermarket sort of um, key slot or M-lock is only like $39 if you just wanted to drop it in. It's not expensive at all for a plate that correctly mounts their either uh, M-lock or sort of key slot to um, the rifle system, you know, if they don't have the ability to do like the AI with the four end parts or something like that. Yeah, that's definitely been a really big change in the industry. We're super happy about it. Um, back in, uh, I think it was 2015 or 20, it was 2016, the AI classic, I went and uh, observed, I took a rifle and shot for the first day. I met Phil for the first time. Um, he saw the NATO dovetail, um, the killer innovations, um, custom plate that we had. I think we had one more at that time, a desert tech and he loved the idea. Um, I talked to him a little bit and then he came out with that, um, the rat rail inside of it. And that was, that was awesome. 
you know, a chassis manufacturer putting it inside. So we were stoked. And at that point, we're like, let's, let's try to get more people to do it. So I started pushing people and letting them know that we do have a standard. You know, it's open source. It's on the website. It's not just Arca Swiss because Arca Swiss doesn't actually have a standard. It's just a term. You can look it up on Wikipedia and you can find out that it says 1.5 inch, you know, a piece of aluminum with a dovetail cut on either side. But it's not going to show you the radiuses. It's not going to show you the different angles of the dovetail, um, how much surface pressure it needs to have or anything like that. So we have that open source on our website. And then we even started creating these post-finish um, go no-go gauges for machinists um, to buy from us at cost so they can make sure that theirs are acceptable with us. Uh, the bad problem about those is, you know, for the whole industry, for the past 40 years, they've been just making these plates and every single company has a different style. They do it, you know, all right, because you go ahead. Talk. Yep, yep, we're fixed. Sorry about that. Uh, phone or something just threw them off of the uh, headphones or whatever the uh, account. But uh, anyway, we're back. So yeah, so um, yeah, you were listening to everybody. You were down there. Phil was putting it into the chassis system, and now you're making the go no go gauges um, for machinists that they actually can purchase these gauges to test their 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 uh, dovetail because we do see. Guys are just buying $6 ones off the internet on Amazon and then copying those. And they're like 30 thousandths off of the spec. Yeah, I mean, the clamps, you know, just up front, the clamps are a friction lock. So if you shoot rapidly enough times or if you have something out of spec, they can move. That's why in all of our dovetails, we have those threaded ports on the end of them. So it has like a hard stop. It's a safety stop. Um, and you can put multiple in there. So you, the furthest place that you want your tripod to go, the furthest place you want your bipod to go. We know it's going to happen if you shoot enough times. It's meant for super fast modular movements, not just extended rapid fire. But if you are going to do extended fire, you can just put it up against one of those hard stops and you're going to be good. But yeah, that was super excited. Um, and then we, like you brought up, that Picatinny dovetail combo. Um, we finally got our word that it's uh, trademarked, patented, um, we are good to go. So we nice. own that. So for, you know, we've reached out to a couple other companies that, you know, we've seen things and just let them know, hey, um, just FYI, this is something that we do own, you know, just giving you a fair heads up so we don't have to deal with anything else. Right. Um, and it, and yeah, it, that, it should that was, go that way. Yeah, it was uh, awesome, awesome concept we built into the anvil. And then we made that SCLR clamp that can go, you know, it's a sore lever release that can go on top of the BH55, but it can also go on top of uh, most bipods with an adapter. And then we came out with the BTC Pro that can go on. Uh, I mean, we made it initially. That's why we call it a BTC Pro, specifically for the Atlas bipods. Um, and then, you know, a lot more bipod companies started using that, uh, what's it called, ARMS 17S standard. Um, so now that can go on so many people's um, bipods and then we pushed it over to the Harris as well. So, you know, that, um, you know, I see probably 75% of shooters out there with some form of really right stuff gear. And, you know, that's why we give away so much at all these competitions and why I try to go and shoot at all these competitions. Cause you know, it's the shooters that have been helping us, you know, push us forward. Yeah. I mean, you guys are definitely huge supporters of the sport, been um, huge supporters of myself and everything. And, and, and the, where you see 
I mean, it makes such a big difference in comps to have the right tripod, to not get tangled into it, and to understand how to use it. And and before we jump into sort of deployment, because I want to get into some deployment stuff with you, since it's the new competition season, seeing how we're kind of rolling into competition, you guys released a ton of sort of comp-friendly new products for 2020 at SHOT Show. So I kind of want to go through some of that and then we can jump into the employment side of how we're using each of these things, um, whether it be in a competition, in a field course like my match or in the hunting sort of side of things because you guys are doing more and more to cross over to the hunting side of um, the, the sport, um, not just the competition stuff. But I, I kind of want to go into your your releases right now because it was such a it, – it was a – it was one of the biggest releases at shot, and I think it was unexpected. I don't think anybody expected that many amount or you know that many products to come out of you guys. One or two, yeah, we would have. Okay, yeah, one or two. You guys are like at the six or eight mark um, when it came to new products at shot show. So let's go over that, and then we'll talk about deployment of each of these new products. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's funny you say that. Actually, this year we had less new products than we've ever had any other year. 20, 2018, I had 15 new products. Um, this year, we had uh, five new products, uh, actually four new products, but all of our products, we have so many products. Um, I think we have like 1,200 different SKUs. So a lot of the stuff like you were talking about is just Legos. You know, if the shooter can figure out something that he needs, I can typically figure out some way to outfit him. Um, but the new products this year, the big ones with the TVC 22i, a lot of people dubbed it the competition tripod and I'm fine calling it a competition tripod, but, uh, you know, competition is so, such a growing part of our sport. Um, a lot of new people getting into it and they're have, they're hard pressed to pick up some of these tripods that are a little bit more expensive that we make. So the 22i only has two sections instead of three or four like usual. So we get rid of anywhere from three to nine twist locks, all that milled aluminum, uh, the molding, some of the plastic, the anti-twist sleeves. Um, so we were able to cut the cost down 300, 340 bucks or something like that. Um, and then the I version, you know, uh, it's inverted. So the twist locks are up on the top. So as soon as you grab onto it, you break it free by pulling towards you or counterclockwise. Um, you know, scan it down, go down to uh, where you want to lock it and then lock it and take your hand off. Typically with our other versions, you had to unlock all four at the same time or three at the same time, then pull from the foot down to the bottom, take your hand off, tighten up the small one, then tighten up the next one, then tighten up the next one. So it's saving a lot of time. Um, it's still pretty small in compactness. You can't, cannot get it with that TFCT Apex that's so popular with the anvil. But we do have a two-series um, platform adapter for the anvil, so you can still put the anvil on top of this. Uh, so that's, you know, for flat-range shooters, competition shooters, new shooters, and a lot of predator hunters, because a lot of predator hunters are just like competition shooters. They open it up, they put their optics or the rifle on top of it, they go to the next stage and throw it over their shoulder. You know, they keep it up. Um, so doing that, the twist locks stay, you know, either halfway or higher. So they're not ever going to go into the mud. So that was the big thing with the predator hunters. Um, then a product that we were super, super popular, uh, excited about, 
I put it up on uh, the hide. Um, I think it was yesterday I talked to you about um, the uh, binocular adapter. So I have the Vortex Fury 5000s. Um, we have some EL range ones and a couple other binos. And I wanted one adapter to go to all binos and to still fit into the chest harness, uh, not have to be uh, threaded in the bridge because the Fury 5000 ones that I have, I've been threading them so much I was tightening it a little bit too much, and I actually semi-stripped out my uh, bridge or something inside of it. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to use it anymore. Um, now I'm just going to hook onto the one tube, the binocular adapter. It's called a Cinch-LR. Uh, um, it has our RS dovetail on the bottom of it. And then for people that haven't got into ours, uh, it does have that RC2 standard on the other side of it. And then on the bottom... It has a 3 8 port, so if you want to thread it directly onto a tripod or a ball head, um, or if you have some other tripod that has a different mounting platform that goes to 3 8 or quarter 20, if it goes to quarter 20, you could put a reducer bushing on there, and you could put any other plate on the bottom. So that's, you know, it goes from, I don't know the exact dimensions I'd have to turn on my computer here. Um, it's like one and a half inches to two and a half inch uh, tubes. So pretty much every single popular uh, binocular that we have uh, in the shooting sports and the bigger uh, hunting ones. I mean, that was so, so timely. Awesome. Yeah, coming out with that mount, that was huge. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really excited about that one. Um, that's been, even though the anvil was so big, those bipod clamps were so popular, this one hits home to me because we always take binoculars. Anytime I go hiking and I want to see something or hunting, uh, I want to get into hunting more, and that's what we'll talk about uh, in the future here. Um, but, you know, this one hits home to me, so I wanted to get something for it. Yeah, and I just shot competition dynamics match where you kind of have to use the laser range-finding binoculars. And, like, Adam, who I shot with, was using the Leicas, and I was using the Zeiss, but Adam had, like, the big giant bog pod mount, the big rubber one. Yep, and yep. I was like, ah, oh, it's too big. I don't like it. And you're on and off and it's in the way. So, you know, like wearing them are, are great to one extent, but then you don't want them in the way if you got to do a two pin and move or anything like that. So you're, you're, it's like, well, you want the steadiness of them being mounted. And just prior to SHOT Show, Spur had a, a, this girl, Pia, who, who's out of Sweden there with them. She's sort of like a, an intern disciple. She works for Hawken in some respect. She actually, practicing machining, had built like a single um, mount for her Leicas. But, the, you know, mm. they had to be, you know, it was her pl playing on machining. So it had to be done because of those weird radiuses, the radiuses the Leica has. It has that weird curve for like your hand. So it's not round. It's not oval. Yep. It's kind of odd. So she was doing that, and I'm like, oh, that's a great mount. It's so easy. It just stays on there. And and she showed up at SHOT Show, and we, we go across the hallway from Mile High, and you guys are right there in the next room over, and you had this mount, which with the strap that saved it, and it's like so much cheaper, so easier, much more universal, and it's not big and in the way. And And I agree. I think bipods are sort of that underrated piece of equipment most people with precision rifle and what we're doing, they want to go right to spotting scopes. Spotting scopes aren't always practical for what we're doing. And especially you're out here now on the west side and, and out west when we do the field courses, you're not going to set up a, a, a spotter. you got to use binos. 
And, and to me, this was like the perfect solution I had been looking for. And right there at shot, you guys came out with it. So, you know, totally timely, everything. Uh, and then the competition tripod, I want to back up to that a second. You know, through myself, through Phil, and through some of the conversations with Phil and Kalen and the different pod, you know, the guys kind of running around this spear, we're, we're pushing and pushing more for deploying tripods on the clock. Will you solve mm-hmm. that problem? I mean, inverting it, that was genius. It was like, well, how do you do this? How do we make this better? How do we make this easier? You're saving the guys a little bit of money. I get it. It's still up there, but this is a precision rifle sport. Our crap is expensive. There's no way around yep. it. You're going to spend money, dude. I mean, it's better, and, and trust me from my standpoint, I just kind of cleaned my office out. It, it, it's it's a junkyard with all the stuff in it of that's been tried over years and then gets thrown to the side. This is not one of those things that you grow out of. Tripods are so multi-use, you know, and, and it's like, like I said, I would rather have a tripod than a bipod if I had to go across country. And, you know, that's just one of the things that you guys are addressing in such a great way. Yeah, the, um, you know, we were really happy with that uh, tripod. Got a lot of reception for it at SHOT Show. I, um, I poked at Phil a little bit. Uh, him and I talked personally uh, just outside of work. And I told him, I'm going to make a tripod that's just a single leg, no extensions or anything like that. So I'm going to go against your uh, deploy on the clock. We made it. It was at SHOT Show. It was about six foot tall. It was kind of a spoof. You know, if someone really wants it, they can call up and ask and we can make them. Um, but it is just, that was a pain to move around. But that was a fun tripod to uh, just show, to have fun and show what we could do with them. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that one will be good for, like you said, the um, deploy on the clock. Um, some of the newer guys, just all around a good tripod for people. And it, you know, I did uh, lower the price on it a little bit. So there are some other tripods that, you know, people are pushing for as a new people that are 600, 700, 800 bucks. And now with, this is our first tripod that actually is around that same price. Um, so that's, it's kind of cool for us. Well, and it's mainly like the knockoffs. We, we, we both agree you and I, like I've said this a several times last year at the sniper's hide match in Colville, the number one tripod on the line was a Leofoto. I hate the idea of that damn tripod being uh, being deployed by our shooters, and it, it's 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 you know somebody got a hold of somebody who saw an OEM or somebody who who got it and like you know hey let's try this because it was seven ninety nine or whatever it is it was half the price of of yours, and yeah they looked at the spec and I guess they knocked off your leveling base size so you could put your leveling base in that tripod. Um, which, you know, the Chinese knock off all kinds of stuff. And we deal with this with, you know, Atlas and their bipods. He's hugely against the Chinese ripping off that stuff. You guys run into the same problem where they copy what your tripod's doing. But what they don't tell you, yeah, it's but it's eight pounds. You know, it's like you guys are like 2.4 pounds and their equivalent is eight pounds. And yeah, they're, but they're, they're taking... Like your idea and just going overseas and putting it into sort of a half-ass practice. I mean, I would much rather somebody who's building something sort of mission-specific, if they're coming in cheaper and competing, well, then that's open competition. That's a whole nother thing. 
Um, you know, but to me, it's the Chinese knockoff stuff is just, it's not what we should be doing. Um, as far as the industry goes, supporting that kind of activity. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't blame some people for uh, getting uh, cost effective ways. Um, that company, uh, if you guys ever know me, uh, I typically don't ever compare our products to anyone. Um, but yeah, that company, they, they have like to, uh, take some cues, um, for lack of a better term, uh, from us. Um, but you know, that's, that's what's going to happen in all the industry. You know, there was the first car and then there was the second car, you know, same with tripods, same with rifles. Um, we don't like it when it's a direct ripoff, even the name, um, or if a company actually takes our, our company name, you know, um, like I said, in, when 2015, we started this and we didn't want to change our name. You know, we wanted to show people that we support rifles. A lot of tripod companies, they, they see that this is so popular and they want to get some of your guys' cash. Um, so they come out with a different name for their company, make a complete different website, um, just so they don't hurt their photography users. Um, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to show people. So we did make a different uh, division. Um, and if you go under our website, you can see that we have a photography division, a cinematography division, and then we have a sword division, which is called Sport Optics and Rifles, everything that's most popular for shooters. Um, but yeah, that was that's the the main difference. I just don't like people hiding behind and not telling their customers that they actually support them. Yeah, that there there is that and from both sides of it. And I heard all about it um, with some of the other stuff going on at Shot with the different tripods that they said that the tripod people, they're going so far anti-gun, but the ones who definitely want to make something and sell to us who want our cash because it's green – um, they're changing the names, and I've seen that in three different companies now. You probably know more than that, but I know of three that changed their name or, or moved away from their photo side because they didn't want the camera people to know there's a shooting side of the house. Um, yes, I mean that that happens. Um, we have we have lost photographers. You know, some some big champion photographers that were like, you know, we don't want to support um, the firearms sporting side of it. So, you know, that happens. You know, but we don't want to. We don't want to lie to the customers. Nah. Uh, what we are making and who we support. You know, it's really right stuff. It's, it's the brand. It's how we live. It's the gold standard for tripods. I mean, if you look at it, everything is judged by what you guys are doing. I mean, there's the there's the historical side of it where we where we were. You know, big Manfrotto people. But then when you guys came <laughs> along and, and and came out with this sort of a mission specific tripod. Then, I mean, you, you've established yourself in the last three years as that gold standard that everybody wants to attain to. I mean, as far as the camera side of the world, I, I play a little in both because with the video and, and the stuff that I do. Yeah. But it, it's still, it, it, I get where you're coming from. And, and, and the fact that you're proud about doing both sides of it should tell people a lot. And, and it's, it's where you can, where support should go, man. There, there's definitely a way. If you can afford it, there's no reason not to go that direction because you'll never lose with them. And and that's been a great thing too is that I don't see, uh, um, like a uh, your people aren't losing money on them. You know what I mean? There's people who've bought oh. sort of your other products like the the 33s with the leveling base, and then they're going to the Anvil 30, so they sell the 33. They're not losing money on that purchase. So the, no, the, they definitely aren't. Um. We've uh, we've actually never really done sales. 
we've never, we don't really have an industry deal. Um, we don't put our stuff on for sale. Uh, our Mark, we're on Mark II tripods. We made a couple of improvements. You can still find people on Amazon trying to get rid of their Mark ones and they're only losing 10, 15% for something that's, you know, eight years old. Um, so yeah, we don't do sales, but it, it protects your investment for sure. Which is nice. I mean, cause you are, cause guys do consider this, you know, it's in the big picture of things. It's really not that expensive. Um, but on the other side, it, it actually, um, you know, it's, it's a pricey expenditure for somebody to, to use in what they might see as something specific, like a competition or somebody who might only do one or two hunts a year or something where they're not out there like we are every week with these damn things. I got more miles on my tripod than most people. Um, that 23 leg set has been from, <laughs> from Argentina to Alaska. You guys have looked at it. It's, it goes every time I'm on an airplane, it's on an airplane with me. You know, so I'm yeah. never not with that tripod with me. If I'm on a line doing something, that tripod is right next to me. And it lasts. I mean, it it's no worse for wear. You, you know, I had you kind of look at it and tune it up because I messed with it when I upgraded it to the anvil. I killed one of the springs, but that was my fault. Yeah. That wasn't your fault. And then you guys just fixed that little uh, lock for me. Um, but otherwise. Yeah, that was at that gunworks match. Yeah, yeah. So um, other than that, that's the I killed one leg, but it was an easy fix. It was you know rebend. The, my spring was actually bent and out of the way. You guys just put a new spring in it. Um, but that yeah, like that's all we had to do. yeah, but like I said, that was my fault, not yours. And, but still, I I still used it. It just if you didn't push the lock back in the place, the leg would flop. You know, but that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you've heard you've heard it. If man can make it, man can break it. Yes. Um, and all of our stuff, you know, there's there's a way that you can figure out a way to break it. The cool thing is you can give me a call and talk to me and I'll send you out a return thing, uh, return authorization, and we'll get it fixed and send it back to you. Uh, you know, a lot of things I've seen on the hide, you know, someone's like, hey, I called this people and they either didn't pick up or they didn't speak any English. They didn't know anything about shooting or anything like that. So I think it, that is a value to customers. Um, but yeah, the uh, the only other big thing that really, really big thing to our company that we came out with in SHOT Show, it's a tripod that hasn't really been um, forecasted or established yet. It was some prototypes that we were showing at SHOT Show to get some ideas and what people thought uh, with the Ascend tripod. It's a, uh, it's a travel tripod that's also uh, dubbing as a hunting tripod. You know, something two pounds. Um, it's a little bit uh, shorter, but it has a center column. Uh, you can change out the center column to have the ball head specific to it, or you could put an anvil or any of our other ball heads or anyone else's ball head on it. Um, that's going to be a extremely popular one, uh, hopefully uh, for hunting. <laughs> Excuse me. What do you, what are you basing that leg set on? Cause like, just to go over, you kind of have sort of the, the 10 series, which is the 14. Cause that's the, 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 the one is sort of your diameter, right? Okay. And then, yeah, the, yeah, I got you. And then the um, then the four, like the one four, would be the leg sections. The twenty three is the two diameter with three leg sections. People use the thirty three or thirty four, which is the bigger diameter with three or four leg sections, depending if it's a thirty three or thirty four. So you're sort of a one two three series, and then a three or four on the leg sections, correct? 
Yeah, so once people get educated on the tripods, they really understand it. The, the letters in the beginning talk about what kind of apex it is, so a TVC. Um, the middle number, the middle letter basically tells what kind of apex it is. It's either a Versa apex, so it can accept all those different accessories inside of it. Um, it's either a fixed apex, so you can just put a ball head on top, or it's tapered uh, for the anvil. And then the next number, or the first number actually, is the series, one through four. Um, that's the main, the first tube size, one being the smallest, four being the largest. That hunting tripod that I was just talking about was kind of based on the one series. Uh, some of the ones that you guys uh, play around with, uh, the Leofoto ones, those are based off of our four series. Um, there are smaller ones, but the typical one you see four series. And then the second uh, number is how many leg extensions each one has. So that new competition, it's a TVC 22. Um, so it's a Versa Apex two series with two sections. So pretty easy once you get educated on it. Um, you know, we don't really like the trying to move away from that nomenclature that people don't understand, but I mean, it does have a reason for it. Yeah. And it helps me kind of look like when I tell somebody I'll meet guys that are really tall and I'll say, no, you want like a 34 legs, you know, cause you're a six foot five dude get the 34s yeah. for you. Like for me, and they'll be like, well, which one are you using? I'm like, well, dude, I'm using 23s. I'm using short ones yeah. that aren't going to go much above my size. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not that like a taller guy can probably max it out and, and, and not be too hunched over. But a 23 is pretty short where most guys are using 33s or 34s. Yeah. I mean, if you're just shooting off of a tripod, um, if you're six foot two and under, you can shoot off of a one series, a two series, a three series, or a four series, any of them. Um, at that max height, you might have a little bit of a hunch on the 23, 24, and 14 if you're six foot two. Um, but a lot of the questions that I get, people want to use the binoculars and the spotting scopes. If you're, you know, six one and over, maybe six and over, you're going to want to get the L versions. So we do have a letter afterwards, just like that competition. I said 22I. We do have a 24L and a 34L. So those are the longer ones for people that are really focused on the optics. And me personally, I always want something longer than I need just in case I, you know, I have a ditch in front of me or while I was deployed, I have stairs going down and I'm shooting out of a second story window. Um, and I have that, you know, that front leg uh, extended a lot farther because I needed to go down onto the second stair below me or something like that. Yeah, and in the deployment, and we, we'll get into sort of that deployment, but uh, you went to Brian Morgan's place, Hat Creek in Idaho, which is all positional, alternate, up and down hills. It's Hell's Canyon, so serious angles. And that deployment, like Brian is kind of pushing the deployment envelope a bit because his terrain is exactly what you're saying, where you want a little longer than shorter to bridge these sort of ground obstacles that you we have in in to sort of build uh you know sturdier positions and you know maybe it's something like an le guy is going to build a position in a car and wants to bridge across seats you know maybe it, it's up and down these hills um you know all these different things so yeah i mean talk about like the the using the legs for deployment and not just the telescopic extensions yeah so a lot of people, like you were talking about, um, if you have a cliff next to you, they open up one of those legs and they open it fully parallel to the ground. So the foot is on the side of a cliff uh, with some of the telescoping legs kind of overlapping each other. So they can use that as a bench. So 
so their bipod's actually on the ground um, in front of them, and then they're actually using their chest and their their elbows over top of that horizontal leg just as a rear bench. Um, a lot of his guys, you know, they'll open up that back leg into the last position and they'll wrap their uh, leg over it and put the, the tripod leg in the the hook of the inside of their knee. Yep. You know, so they're putting a lot of weight on top. Um, sometimes they're putting a bag on the leg and they're using that as a uh, rear support with their elbows. So they're minimizing that open space. Um, so he's he and those guys are definitely pushing the envelope of what a tripod can handle. Um, so we've been able to find out because we have weight writings on all of our tripods and none of them are max, you know, they're not, they're not 60% of what it can actually hold. Right. Right. Um, we just want to go worst case scenario. What could ever happen with our tripod? Some people say, you know, the best case scenario, what they can hold. And that's, that's really good marketing. Um, but I want to give people worst case scenario. What is actually going to happen if you drop your tripod from six foot with all the twist locks open or with all the angles open? Uh, but yeah, they. I mean, just putting. I don't know. I did a I did a YouTube video for a Precision Rifle series on uh, at AI Classic, and they asked me one way to to shoot, and I put two legs in front. I put that back leg in between my legs uh, in the second position. And I'm 220 pounds, and I put my whole body weight, uh, 45 degrees, into that leg. If I'm shooting a fast mover, and I need my rifle not to move, period, I need to be able to see where that round goes, do a quick follow-up shot. I'm putting my right, I'm putting my weight 45 degrees towards the ground into that thing. Those front legs are not going to move at all. And and that's key. Uh, that it, it's that recoil management. It's the ability for the system. And this is where the money's going. That guys need to understand. It's a it's managing that recoil and being able to, like you're saying, lean into it. Use your body. We're not just holding the rifle up. There's 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 an element of us. There's the recoil of the rifle firing. There's a lot of different things that go into that system. Which is why we don't we're not as successful with the digital camera tripods and their weight ratings as you are with a specific mission built tripod like yours. Yeah, I mean you can put a lot of weight into them. Um, with people calling me, they need to know the more influence you put into a tripod, the more you're going to have to minimize your human errors. You know, you're gonna if you're putting all your weight into it. You know, you can't be shooting. You you can be shooting, but it might not be successful shooting half uh, MOA targets. You know, you're putting all that human influence into it. You are going to have a little bit of movement. If you want to shoot free recoil, sure, but you're going to see the rifle kick back. Um, so it all comes down to training. You're not. You can't just buy into success. Like the tripods are built. They're really nice. They hold up extremely well. They have great resale value. They look amazing. Um, but you're not just going to get one and your shooting is just going to be a hundred percent, you know, better than it was. It is going to still take practice, but it is going to be better than the typical stuff that you do buy. Um, not really tested with rifles like you were talking about. And, and our, our, our way of doing it's changed. I get guys in the class all the time. Like the first Alaska class we did, the first PR2, we had people buying Manfrotto's or the pig saddles from Hog Saddle. They were buying everything from Hog Saddle. You guys didn't exist at the time. So we had a whole Hog Saddle 
setup that we got at a discount that we sold to students, you know, like, hey, we can get you this from Hog Saddle with their tripod, with their uh, pig saddle version, the, the cheaper stamp metal one, not the machined one, and it'll discount to this. And then two years later, you guys hit the market, and now I got that coming to class, and everybody goes, hey, wait a minute. And it's like, well, wait a minute, but the industry changed. We're, we're moving huh? forward so quickly. Yeah, I did recommend a pig saddle to you in this tripod two years ago, but the world changed. And now, we're, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we can't get you, a, a, I think it was like a $385 deal or some low number like that. It's like, yeah, we can't do a deal for three eighty five. It's fifteen hundred bucks. Go get the Anvil thirty. It's fifteen hundred bucks. It's going to change your world when you see the difference. But it's that uh, you charge me four hundred then, and now you want fifteen hundred now. And what do I do? And it's like, but there's a reason, and that's why I think it's important for you to be on and to kind of explain this history, this background, and the reasoning. Stuff changes. And gets better. Mm -hmm. We're balancing the rifles in the middle because the tripod can hold it. Before we were putting it out forward because the movement we put in the back was, you know, being magnified in the front if you balanced in the middle. But now the tripod holds it better so you don't see that movement translate as easily as it did when it had a 12-pound weight rating. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of improvements in technology throughout all the industry and you know carbon fiber has been one of them um you know you can make carbon fiber uh, really easy um it's how the it's how some of the asian companies do it they can just pull it through a die and your legs pre-made i mean the look of it the appearance of it um everything is pre-made you know they're just pushing out a tube every second you know it, that's that's a exaggeration it's probably every minute um you can you can sew it onto a, a mandrel or a lathe or whatever you want to call it um, over and over and over and over again and make it thicker and thicker and thicker. And then you can have to put it onto a lathe and turn it back down, then grind it and polish it. Um, you can also roll it like paper in a cigar wrap. You know, there's a lot of different ways to make them. Um, we don't really get into exactly how we make them just because, you know, then people will try to start making them that way. Um, but yeah, we, we don't do something. We don't do that in an easy way, you know? So there's definitely a lot of labor. Um, some of the people that, you know, talk about, eh, I'm not going to get into that stuff, um, but <laughs> whatever. We could be nice. Um, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. It's quality. It's, it's yeah. There, well, there's quality. The, well, and, and let's put it this way. I'll go in the direction you were going to go. There's been some carbon fiber products in the gun industry that have been breaking that when you look at it, it looks more like they put a carbon fiber sticker over a plastic sort of tube or something like that where it's not sort of a true carbon fiber. And, and then what you're kind of getting into is the direction of the tensions and where things will flex and break and how you can destroy something versus, you know, what we're doing to put a load into something may not be how they originally meant for the load to be put into it. And the carbon fiber doesn't want to go that way. We have seen stuff that is of the knockoff nature that does break under our type of load. And, and I think yeah. that's kind of the direction you were going with. Like not everybody is created equal. And just because it looks carbon fiber 
doesn't make it correct. Yeah. And then, um, so ours, I mean, like I said, man can make it, man can break it. Um, I've had a couple, uh, break when they get ran over by four wheelers, um, or a truck or MTV or something like that. Um, but when they break, instead of it being like a dry piece of kindling and just snapping in half, it's sort of like a, like a frozen rope when you break that ice and it's still together, but it does move a little bit, you know, for mission parameters for military law enforcement, if for some reason you're putting your whole weight into it, somehow it broke, people are still able to continue shooting off of them. You know, and yeah. some, sometimes depending on the level of uh, break, you can actually still uh, telescope the legs over and over and over again. They don't just fall straight through, which is a big important thing. And then those, uh, those anti-twist leaves that hold the legs um, together and from spinning, you know, they don't break. Um, so in those matches that are quick deployments and everything like that, where they get mud inside of them, ours are sealed now, so they're not getting mud inside the twist locks. Um, it makes it a lot easier and a little bit more confident when you're using that in the harsh uh, environments. Well, and speaking of harsh, I just want to kind of clear up one thing because this question comes up on the military side, and, and I'm going to give you a little background with me. My brother comes out of the the, in, the movie industry as well. Um, he worked for Anton Bauer, um, does batteries. And so people would always say to us, uh, hey, you know, batteries don't work in the cold. And my brother's like, bullshit, I can make a battery. We, we send our batteries to Antarctica. You know, we can make a battery to work. How much do you want to spend and how much money do you want? So now to go to the harsh conditions in the weather, go through a little bit of twist lock versus the the, the snap, uh, the clamps, because there has been some little bit. Of, and, I, and I think it's been suppressed lately, but it was some drama that came up where they said twist locks don't work in the cold. And it's like the majority of pro photographers use twist. They don't use throw lever. Um, yeah, correct, it, correct. Uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of, there's been this debate about ice and twist locks and ice and clamp locks. Yeah. So, um, easiest thing to think about is the padlocks or whatever you want to call them, uh, paddle locks. Um, they have some leverage on them. You know, they have something sticking out. So if you put a tripod that has paddle locks out in the freezing rain and leave it there for overnight, you know, I, I don't know why you would do that. Um, and if you do that same with twist locks, you know, and it's constantly raining ice storm, there can be ice that forms over the leg, you know, and over the twist lock and you can't get to the twist lock. If you were just to leave it overnight in a rainstorm um, below freezing uh, with the padlocks, as long as there's a little bit of that leverage left over, you can break some of that ice. Does that make sense? Yep. So, I mean, it's not really a fair test, but whatever, it's a test. Um, but with ours, you know, we used to do, uh, non, we used to do non, um, sealed twist locks. So now with the sealed twist locks, uh, the environments aren't getting in as much. So you don't have to worry about it as much with the ice and the rain. And that's what you said. A lot of people use them in that austere environments. Um, but the main thing people don't like paddle locks for is a lot. You use them over and over and over again, they get loose and you have to retime them. Um, and they make loud noises when you, if you have a lot of high tension on them and you shut them fast, they snap. Uh, they either snap off or when they snap onto that metal, they make a pretty good noise. So for hunters, a lot of times they don't really like them. Um, as long as you actuate the twist locks pretty good, um, you know, you're not going to make a lot of noise. 
and you guys improved on your twist locks. You're only like a third of a turn or a quarter. You're 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 much less, you know, than most of the sort of standard twist locks out there. So your movement's much shorter and quicker. Um, you know, to to sort of break it loose and deploy it, or to tighten it up and lock it down. And they lock great. I've never had an issue. Um, with any type of rifle size, you know, doesn't matter from the fifties, like AI putting the AX 50 on it all the way up. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a leg start to buckle under that with your twist locks. Yeah. With the new Mark twos, um, there's an improved, um, grip feature. Um, what I mean is that with the same amount of force, it has a lot more force, uh, than the Mark, uh, Mark, Mark ones had. Um, but yeah, if you grab onto it and just put your wrist at a 90 degrees and break it free, that's all you have to open it or close it uh, for it to go fully locked. So it's, it made it a little bit easier doing that as well. Nice. So, hey, we're coming up on the hour. Um, let's kind of go work on that sort of wrap up. Is there anything else from shot you want to cover? I, like you said, you have 1,200 SKUs and so many products and people can go check out the SOAR part of the website for the shooting side of things. But uh, just to make sure we covered everything and anything you guys want to go over, because uh, we are just, like I said, coming off a shot, new announcements, new things that happen. Um, you know, the biggest thing people are going to ask when the anvil's going to be ready. Uh, right now we're uh, six weeks from new orders. Um, I'm going to try to push that fast, faster than that. Sometimes we go a little bit over. Uh, we just have to do the best guesstimates. But we are going to try to push them to you as fast as possible. And we usually are on time um with those we have all those skus we don't have a machine per sku so the things do have to go through our machining schedule um so you know it is it is there's a schedule so it's not always it's not always why you have to uh, wait right right know? but um no i mean just if someone wants to reach out to me ask me any questions they can uh, go to my email they can give me a direct call they can call a toll-free number um, and just ask for Michael. Um, and I'll be able to try to give him an answer. If I can't give him an answer, I'll be able to push him to one of the uh, engineers. And, and we've, we've solved most of the shooting problems. I think you'd probably have an answer for most people. You've created products for the different situations. Deploying a tripod on the clock, you got a product for that now. You know, you want to go hunting and go a little lighter, maybe run the center column and do that. You got that. Oh, wait, you're a hunter and a competition shooter. You want to put your binos on. There you got the, You got that small mount, which is, is going to be great for that and keep those binos and stuff out of your way while keeping you that ability to put them on your tripod and, and use the lasers correctly on something instead of trying to freehand it. You got all that. Depending on the chassis system, I'm sure you have a mount for that with the most popular stuff or somebody's going to make an aftermarket rail. So there's very little on the shooting side that I don't think you guys address. Yeah, and if if there is something that we don't have, it's because someone else made it. And we kind of have a status of if someone makes something good, we're not going to redo it just because it's bringing in money. You know, we don't want to pollute the industry with too much stuff and give too many options. If it's good, um, I push people to it. You know, I push people to sawtooth rifles sometimes. Um, I don't, we don't make any guns or actions. So people ask questions about what's the biggest stuff that we use in competition or what do we see? I talk to them about, you know, the impact actions, AI and Lone Peak, all those. So if they call up and have any sort of questions, I can give my best answer possible, but it's the coolest 
the the best part of it is just getting to talk to all the guys. Um, and as long as I don't get too busy, I definitely would love, I mean, just like talking to you, we've been on the phone for an hour, you know? Mm-hmm. And and one thing I want to bring up that we don't mention enough, but I'm running them and, and it doesn't, is the scope mounts. You guys make scope mounts. I think they're excellent. I love the fit and finish on them. They, you do have different uh, ring parts that you can put extensions on, but if you don't want something sort of the big and in, in done like a, mach- uh, a spur where you don't need all the attachments, you just want a nice, elegant, well-made scope mount, you guys make an outstanding scope mount. Yeah, it's something that we started new in 2017. The owner, Joe, really likes um, scope mounts, but he really wants things to be elegant. So he wanted to make something extremely strong but elegant to go on his rifles. Because, you know, you're spending anywhere from four to $10,000 on a full rifle setup. You want it to look good as well. Um, but, yeah, we have scope rings in 30, 34, and 36 millimeter um, where we have a new design as well. So once we get – once we start putting um, – we're always updating the designs, trying to make them better. Um, once we're out of the 34 and the 30 millimeter, um, which is pretty much now – um, we're putting them on the machine to be a little bit shorter. So we changed them. So it'll fit all of those, uh, Schmitz that have the illumination knob on them Okay. where our old ones, where our old ones didn't fit. Um, you know, a lot of the popular 36 millimeters came out last year. So we made one for them because, uh, you know, we met Jeff Huber and we really liked, um, his that he came out with. So we made those, the 34s, I run them on all my night forces that I run for the competitions. Um, but we have them in 1.26, 1.5. We'll probably have another height lower than 1.26 soon. We have them in 0 and 20 MOA. And we have a 45 offset that can go on either side and a diving board that can go up on the front. Nice. So, yeah, we have a lot of options for them. Um, it has four screws on the side jaw and then uh, six screws per cap on the top. Um, so I haven't had any issue with anyone calling me back talking about zero or uh, loosening or anything. We've had nothing about good stuff, but it is a new venture force. So a lot of people don't know about them and keeping them in stock is again, another hard part. Yeah, I I'm enjoying them. And, and I know we don't get talk about it enough because everybody goes straight to the tripods, me included, but, um, it is, it's a great product. It's, it's a viable alternative to some of the other mounts that guys are using in the same price point. And especially not everybody, like I said, wants all the attachment stuff. They don't have any plans to put attachments on it. So they want a, a different look, you know, and, and, and that's kind of where it goes. But I think they're every bit as bulletproof. Um, they're, like you said, they're a little smaller, a little lighter, uh, you know, uh, but still just as robust in my book. And I've been running them as well uh, for the Schmitz, and I think I have the one on the Zero Compromise as well, um, if I remember right. I, I, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but I know I'm running a Schmitz in one and, and I think a Zico in the other. So um, one of the engineers overheard me talking to you about some of the carbon fiber stuff, um, and he's you know really sped up on the carbon fiber thing. So just from him, um, he said uh, if I wanted to talk about it, just – to give some guys a little bit more knowledge on carbon fiber. It's just uh, carbon fiber is made of million strands all glued together. And the important thing is to know those strands are constructed and put together. Um, it's not how many layers it's made of because, you know, layering is just a uh, marketing term mainly for most companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, even if the tube diameter and thickness is identical, 
you can change the strength characteristics of the tube based on how the fibers are oriented. Um, so there's also different grades of carbon fiber. So some are higher quality and some have a higher strength than others. Um, so, I mean, it's, there's a lot that goes into the carbon fiber. Yep. Um, so some, some comes from us and some comes from Japan, but he just, he just gave me that. And I thought it would be a good thing to add just a, an engineer's background from it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And like I was saying earlier, we've seen some of it break because our loads go against how they're buying the cheapest carbon fiber they can get to kind of keep the price down if it even is really carbon fiber and some of the products I've seen, but, um, it, our load weight is different and that's what kind of the way those strands and the glue. And, and that's the other, do you guys have to um, do anything cold with yours at all? Or is it pretty set up when you get it? Do you have a cold room? Um, so, um, we have uh, testing areas for extreme hot and extreme cold. Oh, I, I meant like um, just to store the, uh, any of the raw carbon fiber. I know like when I was at Christensen arms, they have like a giant freezer because the, the glue is being set up all the time and they have to kind of freeze it. So it stops doing its thing. So I didn't know if you guys had to keep anything in, in, in a freezer. Uh, with our process at our location, we don't have to do anything. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause they're a big raw, they make stuff the size of, you know, aircraft with it. So they're using, they're, they're making it right there. So they have to do something different, but I just didn't know if, if you were so down so early into the process that you had a freezer. No, not, not yet. There, there you go. Hints. Right. So anyway, <laughs> so no, um, so yeah, I think we pretty much covered most of your stuff, all the new stuff at shot show from, from the inverted competition line to the hunting line, to the bino mounts, the scope mounts and everything going on there to a little bit of the deployment, you, you know, kind of thinking outside the box that these tripods are actually designed where, you know, like if you horizontal one of those legs, guys are using it as a bench and resting on it. I have some demos. I probably can bring a picture up um, when I do this of one me sitting on your tripod at Hat Creek myself. Um, you know, but they're, they're pushing the envelope. This product allows you to go beyond your imagination in a lot of ways. And that's where this price point and the money comes into it. The buy once, cry once, because you're you're going to have that ability to go beyond what you thought you would normally do. It's going to take you past your initial imagination and let you solve problems you didn't think you can solve previously. That's why we put so much effort into a tripod. That's why we talk about tripods so much. That's why we got Michael on the phone because tripods are that important to the military, law enforcement, tactical, and competition shooter. I mean, it's cover and hunter. You, there, there isn't a situation it's not applicable is, is kind of how I would round this out. Yeah, and if anyone needs more information about it besides just giving me a call or, you know, asking me a question on the hide, I'm pretty – I'm on the hide every single day. Um, but if you want to call in or email me, send me a message on the hide, I can also send you out, get you on our catalog list because we just made that new catalog. It doesn't have the competition stuff on it or the binocular because – you have to get, you know, stuff to the printers like a month and a half early. And we just made this stuff right before SHOT Show. Um, but we're going to keep uh, getting those catalogs out. So if anyone wants to get on the catalog list, if they're not a customer right now, we'll still push you out of catalog. Good good bathroom reading, man. You can flip through the catalog and be like, I need that. I need that. I need that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. I like it. It came out good. I, I have two copies of it here, and I didn't throw them away. I actually brought them home. 
good deal. Yep, yep. No, they they came out nice, man. But photography company, so they look really good, you know. So it's kind of like, wow, you guys, you know, definitely know how to light and put things together. So it, it it's it is a good looking catalog. Thank you. Yeah, actually, um, I don't think I don't know how many pictures we took. If we took very many of them at all, we used a lot of pictures from a Hat Creek training from one of our champion photographers, Sean Utley. Um, a couple from uh, John Filman with uh, with Prime. Um, we try to use a lot of our um, champions, our shooters, and our customers' uh, uh, photos in our marketing. So if you guys have pictures you want to send me as well, I'll take that. If you don't mind us using them in the catalog. Nice, nice. There you go. Value added, man. You can you can become internet famous or catalog famous, however you want to do it with your pictures. <laughs> Cool. Michael, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day and doing the podcast. I, I think we covered it and educated people on the, the Really Right Stuff products and how they differentiate from some other companies out there. And, and just the fact that you guys are nimble, you're listening, you're moving forward, it should tell people a lot that we tend to gravitate towards the companies that are responsive this way. Um, it, it, it's not out of some like, you know, I, I didn't grow up with your mom or anything. We didn't know each other ahead of time. It's when we see companies are doing things correctly and doing the right stuff. We, we, we want to get behind that, you know, and we want to make sure we're, we're a part of that and, and we've got everybody inside the tent. And, and so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll talk to you soon. It was a, it was a good time. Yep. Stay on the line. I'm going to close this out, throw the music out of here and then, and then we'll be off, man. So I appreciate it. We'll do. Closing.